Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Did you know that the rearing of the millennial and Gen Z cultures differs from the rest of us? If you were born before 1996, then you were born in another generation, a generation that is not part of the millennials, not part of the Gen Z. I was born in 1959, so I am several generations back from today. And so the millennial culture, the Gen Z culture, is really different from ours if you are older or born before 1996. The moral lines were more straightforward for you and me. Sin was sin, and it was evident to most anyone. I mean, even the non-Christian community back in my day knew what right and wrong was. I was not a Christian until I was 25. God regenerated me in 1984. But even in the 1960s and 1970s, where I did not know Christ at all, walked in darkness, my mind was futile, my soul was deteriorating, I still knew the difference between right and wrong. Regrettably, today's culture and today's media, they have bombarded the last two generations with an acceptance message. It is a message that says you must accept everybody, you can't judge anyone, and you have to embrace a to-each-his-own worldview. And so what is obvious to you, as clearly taught from the Bible, it is not only questioned by our current generation, but they rebuke it. They confront what we believe as being out of step, as being archaic, as being on the other side of history. There is a great gulf fixed between the millennial and Gen Z cultures and those who came before us. Today, the abnormal is normal. And that is why you need to know that it is okay to be gay. A new message from our deteriorated culture now, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, I don't want you to be too shocked. I put the words okay in uh, quotation marks because what I'm saying is that the abnormal has been normalized. And so if you talk to the average Gen Zer, the average millennial about the gay lifestyle, they say it's okay. And if you're shocked by that, as in you don't understand what's going on, then maybe there is a disconnect between your understanding and relevancy to this culture, and, and just as important, your ability to connect to the culture. We know that it's not okay to be gay, but when the predominant culture and those coming up behind us, the millennials and the Gen Zers, even those in our family, maybe some in your home. I know some in your home because I talk to you. They say it's okay to be gay. We have to understand what has happened. We need to step into our culture. I am not talking about imbibing the culture. I'm not talking about accepting the message. I'm not talking about becoming like them. I am talking about understanding them to help them. This is Counseling 101. 
When someone comes to me with a problem, if I'm going to help them, if I'm going to be a secondary causal agent cooperating with God, the primary causal agent, as an ambassador to Christ, then just like Christ becoming our first missionary, stepping into our culture and becoming like us to engage us, to save us, in a way, I have to step into their world. I have to understand their psyche, their soul, how they think, why they think that way. What were the shaping influences that have developed them into the person that they are today? I need to know who I am talking to so that I can take God's Word and customize it, not compromise it, customize it. Not compromise it, not change it, but customize it according to the person who is sitting in front of me. Just like Christ did in John 3 with Nicodemus. And then in John 4, another person, same problem. Nicodemus was unsaved. The woman at the well was unsaved. And he took God's Word and customized it to two unique individuals because he took time to understand them so he could engage them. There are many within the Christian community, the older set, that would be me and some of you, where we're still stuck back in our world because we love it. And there is a lot to love in the old America where I come from. And for many of you in first world countries, there's a lot to love in your old world as well, if you are old like I am. But some of us can be so stuck in that culture that we have disconnected from where the world really is. And so therefore, like a counselee, we do not understand them. And some even refuse to understand them. And so when the new culture says it's okay to be gay, we are shocked, maybe angry, maybe fearful and frustrated. Well, I understand that, but we need to know why they say it's okay to be gay. And then we want to understand, not become like, and then we want to customize God's Word in order to engage them. And so therefore, I want to share with you this message that I've titled, It's Okay to Be Gay, and You Need to Know Why. And again, for those of you who are listening by the podcast, I put okay in air quotes because ultimately we know that it's not okay, but I am speaking in part as our culture talks today, and that is a problem, and we need to know why. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. You're in our coffee shop, and I'm very glad that you are here. Uh, we are lifeovercoffee.com. That is the street address that will take you right to our coffee shop. Uh, we have built this sanctification center, and we have put it in, in cyberspace. Uh, we made the address to our front door, lifeovercoffee.com. And if you have access to the internet, you are welcome to come in we're open 24 hours a day, and it's free. And so don't bring money, and you can come anytime that you want. I want you to go into all the rooms and check out our resources. We have millions of words. We have thousands of, of, of resources, content. 
They're in a read, watch, and listen format. Now, we do have a special room, and, and that is for the people. Uh, these are for the, uh, the employees, maybe. These are the people who, who pay, who, who keep the lights on. These are the people who keep the doors open 24-7. Those are our financial partners. They're the people who support our ministry, and we have a special place for them because we want to honor them and it's our way of saying thank you for your sacrifice, and, and you are the one percenters that uh, allow hundreds of thousands of people to come and to uh, take advantage of these resources, and so we do have a special place for you. Uh, we have a supporting private forum, and so if you uh, are a supporter, a financial supporter, and you want to engage us, we would love to have that interaction with you, one, to say thank you, uh, for underwriting our ministry and making all of this, these wonderful resources available to so many people, but also to engage you with your most important questions. And so you know where to go. Just jump on our private forum and ask your question if you wish. For the rest, please just mill around and take advantage of the resources. Bring a friend and you can do life over coffee. And then you can also take it with you as you go and share our resources with others. All right, so I want to talk about this idea that I've titled, It's Okay, in air quotes, to be gay, and you need to know why. At the end of this, uh, when I'm, as I wrap up, I want to give you the backstory as to uh, why I came to this uh, idea, why I'm sharing this thought uh, with you. First, uh, you know, let, let, me, let me begin this way. You know the normalization of the abnormal is in full effect. When a millennial comes up to you and they, they ask this question, do you struggle with gay acceptance? And you say that you do. And then they label you as CAD. Do you know what CAD is? CAD is a chronological amnesia disorder. And so on the timeline of life, you have amnesia, you have forgotten uh, that the culture has changed and you're still stuck in the way things have always been and you haven't indexed forward. Now that brings us to a very important question. Do you have CAD? It's the inability to relate to those who are coming up behind us because, again, we are stuck in the past, unwilling to learn about and to engage the current culture. There's many people who are just complete, many Christians who are just completely unaware of what's going on in the culture today, which makes them unable to engage the culture and to fulfill what Christ told us to do, to go and make disciples. Now, let me caveat one final time. I am not suggesting at all that you accept their aberrant truth. But if we don't understand them because of some kind of stubborn ref refusal to do so, we will not be able to reach them with the gospel. And so as you think about CAD, maybe that is the best chronological amnesia disorder. Maybe that is the best place for us to start. So I want to give you a short assessment. I'm going to ask you some uh, questions uh, to see if you happen to have CAD. Now, let me give you one another caveat. CAD is a fake disorder. I made it up. I just made this up. 
there's no such thing as CAD, but I figure since the DSM-5 collaborators, they do this all the time. They make up fake disorders trying to explain why we do what we do. And so I figured I could make up a disorder too. And so it's important to know that in a tongue-in-cheek way, but then in a most sober and serious way, you really do want to take this diagnosis and you want to see if you're still stuck in the past. And so here are a few questions for you. Number one, the CAD, let's call it the CAD diagnostic test. Have you recently used the acronym VHS when illustrating a point to someone younger than you are? Number two, have you ever heard of TikTok? If you're thinking of a clock right now, don't worry about it. Just move on. Let's go to number three. Three, do you have an Adele song on your device? Bonus, do you have a device? Double bonus, have you ever heard of Adele? Number four, are the members of your favorite non-Christian band octogenarians? Octogenarians? Props from Mick Jagger and Ron Wood and a few others. Number five, does your desktop computer look like a box? Number six, have you paid more than $5 for a cup of coffee? Number seven, are your clothes about to come back in style? Second question, do you understand why I'm asking this question? Number eight, do you tweet? If you're thinking about bird sounds right now, don't worry about it. Let's just move on to the next question. Number nine, are you more apt to become discouraged or angry with our culture? Or are you more willing to engage our culture with the gospel? And then finally, number 10. Do you know why there is a generation of Christians who do not struggle as much as you do with the gay problem? You may have CAD if your answers were in this order. Yes, no, 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 no. Yes, Yes, no, not sure, no, no, angry, and no. If you answered like that, of the 10 questions that I ask, you have CAD. CAD, chronological amnesia disorder, happens when a person becomes stuck in the past, as evidenced by how he thinks, how he talks, how he lives and how he reacts to others. He has not kept up with the times. Choosing to surround himself with like-minded individuals who look like him, who thinks like him, who acts like him, he intentionally or maybe unwittingly, not aware of what he's doing, either intentionally or unwittingly, separates from the culture, weakening his ability to connect the gospel to his culture. He may respond this way out of fear, frustration, or a deep-seated faith that this is how things must be. And so if you are on the fence of CAD or if you have the full-blown disorder, it would be important to think, am I stuck in the past because I am afraid? It's legitimate. Am I frustrated? Code word, angry. Or... 
faith, and, and this may be the the more difficult one, faith. I believe that this is how things ought to be, and I will not move forward or even try to understand what is going on around me. Is it fear? Is it frustration? Is it faith? Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, I understand that holy huddles have merit because of the legitimate safety and mutual encouragement found in these clustered communities. I have a very high view of the local church where Christians gather weekly on Sunday morning and then they gather throughout the week in these what I call holy huddles, tongue in cheek. But there is a lot of merit to the safety that can be found in these communities and also the mutual encouragement as we encourage one another with the message of Christ. But these saluted, uh, secluded groups... Do not factor in our mandated mandate for gospel-centered, cultural, and missional engagement. And so it's not that one is true and the other is not. Both of, both of these things are true at the same time. We need these secluded private communities for mutual encouragement, instruction in the Word, but we also need to engage our culture. One fuels the other. The first fuels the second. But the CAD person cannot go into the world in relevant and practical ways for the non-compromising, evangelizing purpose of sharing the undiluted gospel with a culture determined to distance itself from God's people and His truth. Our commander-in-chief told us to go into the culture to cooperate with him in the redemption of our fallen kind. But unfortunately... Too many Christians emulate the white-skinned, white-shirt, necktie-wearing missionary engaging a village in East Africa with the gospel. That is not how Jesus engaged His culture. He assimilated into His culture, so much so that Judas had to let his friends know which one was Jesus when they showed up to take him captive in Matthew 26, verse 48 specifically. Now, perhaps someone is asking, why, why am I sharing these things with you? Why, am I, why would I title something, it's okay, in air quotes, to be gay and you need to know why? Well, here's the backstory. The reason I'm sharing these things with you is because I had a, a rude awakening a number of years ago when I took our son on a four-day adventure to the beach. Now, the purpose of the trip was to have the sex talk with him. And so when our children were somewhere between 11 and, and 12 years old, right in, right in that period, it differed for all three children. Uh, Lucia took the girls uh, at different times up to the mountains to have a, a conversation with each one of them. And our son, he wanted to go to the beach, and so we went to the beach for three, and a, three, three and a half days, something like that. And it was a fantastic trip that the, the Lord truly blessed as we engaged with each other in the most in-depth conversation that we had ever had up to that point, uh, as you might expect. But as we were heading to the beach, something that I did with all three of our children as they were going to have the talk with the girls. I did this. I think it was, it was after they had the talk with their mother. 
they came home, and then I, I had another talk, and I call it uh, introducing them to a theology of language. And so on the way to the beach, before we had the sex talk, I began the conversation, a theology of language. Now, what I'm talking about here is that I, I wanted to begin talking to them about curse words, the use of language, and the language that our culture uses. In fact, I have an article uh, in our coffee shop, lifeovercoffee.com, is titled, Wise Parents Teach Their Children How to Curse. And the, and the reason that I wanted to do that with our children, because I knew that our, our culture is not timid, they're not ashamed, and they're very aggressive. And if I don't get out in front of it and teach them a theology of language, how to communicate, specifically the slang and the curse words in our language, they will do it, and they will not do it the way that I would like for them to do it. And so when we had the sex talk with our children, part of the sex talk was what I call a theology of language. And so I would teach them, well, all three of them, I had to teach them the word curse, what the word curse meant. They were not familiar with that. I would talk to them about but, B-U-T and B-U-T-T and the word damn, D-A-M and D-A-M-N and why it was spelled differently and motivations of the heart and so forth and so on. Now, our goal is to prepare our children for the culture in which they will spend their lives. And so they need to know not just the sex talk, obviously, but they need to understand the culture's language. And so I was glad that, you know, the main curse words that our son knew was, was crap. That was, that was the, he was 12 years old, and that was the biggest curse word that, that he knew. He said he knew the F word and the S word, and I was a little bit shocked by that. But as I began to tease that out, what he was saying, the F word and the S word, he was saying the word fart and the word stupid. Now, those are three words that we never say in our home, crap, fart, and stupid. And so they understood them as bad words. And so when I began to explain curse words to uh, him, well, then he immediately connected that to those three he knew. And again, we just don't say those words uh, because we, I don't like them. I just, I just don't like them. Uh, and that's, that's that. I'll talk about that another time. But I just don't like them, and so, especially the word "stupid," because it, 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 it's hard to make a case for using the word "stupid" in a kind and gracious way, and so we just don't use those words. But he connected those to curse words, and those were the only curse words that he knew. He, he had heard more official curse words but he couldn't define them. And so all of that was vague to him. And so it was kind of sad. It was kind of sad uh, that I had to introduce him to the culture's language. But again, you know, time does not stop for any man. And so he was going to step into his teenage years. And as he hit middle school, where they were going to come, they were going to come in a rush. And, and the culture would, would just give him the words and give him the definitions. And so uh, the sex talk was the time, and we decided we might as well just open up the entire can and just, like, this is it. I mean, this is, these are things that you need to know. And so he, he also, uh, he, he really didn't know what sex was either. He had heard the term, uh, but he didn't know what it was. But there was one thing that he did know. Our son knew the words gay and homosexuality. 
And so after we were wrapping up our three-day trip, uh, we, we went on down. I began the theology of language discussion, and then we went down. We, then we had the sex talk over a period of, of days. And then on the way back, I revisited theology of language. Now, now that he understood sex as best he could as a 12-year-old, I wanted to start talking about uh, pornography, gay, homosexuality, sinful sex. And uh, so I asked him if he knew what gay and homosexuality was. And this revelation, uh, it caught me off guard uh, that he knew uh, what gay and homosexuality was. It, what caught me off guard was the way that he, he said it. Uh, he, he, he said that he understood what gay and homosexuality was like he was telling me what his favorite flavor of ice cream was. Uh, he, he, he was not repulsed by it. Not the way a person with CAD would be repulsed by it. A person who is stuck three generations back. Uh, he said gay was when two men marry each other. And I thought to myself, you don't know what the real F-bomb is? And you're unfamiliar with the real S-word? You think the F-word is fart and the S-word is stupid? But you know what gay and homosexual means. And it, again, it was like he was telling me his favorite ice cream flavor. He was just matter of fact. He was non-emotive. And he never even considered that he should be embarrassed or even repulsed by what he knew. The gay lifestyle may sicken you. You may get angry or may get depressed when you think about the inroads that the gay community has made in our culture. And I understand that. But just for a moment, just for a brief moment, what if you, you set aside how you feel about the encroachments of the culture and ponder our younger generation, like our son, our daughters, maybe your children or grandchildren, specifically think about how they do not have our old-fashioned chronological categories, worldview presupposition, or even our concerns. There is a generation gap. And as I was walking him through a theology of language and the sex talk and the perversion of sex, what he knew the culture had already made, had an entrance, uh, had come through the entryway of his life, and he already knew what some of these words meant. And so we need to step into our culture, but it really begs the question as to why some people don't engage our culture. Why can't we learn about the world in which we live? One of the primary motivators for Christians to not engage the culture is a misunderstanding of worldliness. Non-cultural, non-engaging Christians they typically have a form of Gnosticism that says the culture is evil and we must separate from it. This worldview is unfortunate. If you were to read 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and, and 16, John said that do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. And then he starts talking about what's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, 
the pride of life. Those things are not from the Father. Those things are from the world. And so when John talked about worldliness, he placed it in our hearts, not in the culture. Rather than saying worldliness is out there somewhere, John put worldliness inside of us. By the way, Jesus' half-brother, James, he affirms what John said. John said worldly things uh, we should not love, fleshly desires, prideful thoughts. James said it this way in, in 1.14 and 15. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death, James 1, 14 and 15. The only way that a person can use things in our culture for sinful purposes is when their evil worldly heart, like a, like a magnet, entices them to take something from the culture and use it in a self-centered, self-glorifying way. And this perspective clarifies Paul's statement about avoiding any appearance of evil. He says, abstain from any form of evil. And we want to abstain, especially if our hearts are attracted to it. But if you separate from the world as though the sin was out there and not in here in our hearts, uh, you will find out that, no, the sin is in our heart. And it, it is only by our own evil desires that that stuff has any attraction to us at all. If I know I will be lured by the deceitful desires in my heart, then I want to abstain from it as Paul was saying, so that it cannot connect to the sinful desires of my heart. That is why alcohol does not tempt me. There is nothing in my heart that has any drawing power over me to draw me to drink alcohol. Now, I don't say that proudly because I'm spiritually mature. I'm not. I don't like the taste of just straight alcohol. I've, I've, I've had straight alcohol, and I don't like the taste. I just don't like it. I mean, you could put alcohol and mayonnaise together, and I don't like either one of them. I'm not going to be addicted to mayonnaise. I'm not going to be addicted to alcohol, not because I'm spiritually mature. It's because I don't like that my heart doesn't, it, it is not pulled by it. But I could easily succumb to the temptation of lust after an attractive woman. Now, that is a reason to abstain, to help guard my heart from life my heart and life against the specific sinful desire that I have. And so I have to have abstaining practices in my life so that my heart doesn't draw those things into me. We should stay away from things in our world if our worldly heart draws those things to us for sinful purposes. But those few things, whatever they are for you, it should not motivate us to stay away from everything in our culture. We are to live in the world but we are not to be like the world. Jesus said it this way in 7.15 of Mark. He said, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. God has given the hearts of the world over to every kind of impurity. 
We don't have to fear those evil things in the world. We don't have to lust after those evil things, but we have to, we have, to have the courage to engage, knowing that what is in us is greater than the things of the world. But if you place the accent mark on the issues of the culture being all-powerful and all-alluring, rather than diagnosing the specifics of your heart, you'll never be able to discern your worldly heart or engage the culture because you will miss the point and you will separate from the wrong thing, and thus your heart will not be addressed and the culture will not be engaged. And this lack of heart discernment and cultural disengagement as two reasons that Christians become sinfully angry about the culture rather than gospel engagers of the culture. We have a couple of options. You can dismiss what I'm saying while labeling me as a cultural compromiser. Alternatively, you can address what may be happening in your heart that disconnects you from the culture if you are disconnected from the culture that Christ told you and me to engage. As you think about those things, and in the meantime, our children do not have our starting point or our concerns if you're born before the millennial generation and, of course, the Gen Z generation. I was born in 1959. Our children were born after 2000. I will not be able to relate to them if I insist that their understanding of things begins two decades before they were ever born. How can they understand things through my window, through my worldview? No matter how I describe it to them, they will never be able to fully understand what it was like to be me to be reared several generations back, to watch live 1969, the first man step on the moon. It was real, by the way. It was not in Arizona nor New Mexico. They will not be able to fully understand what it was like to watch an actual 24-hour news cycle of John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, and, the, and Martin Luther King assassinations. Our son asked me when he was much younger, he said, Dad, did you study the civil rights movement in school? <laughs> I, said, I said, Hayden, I studied the civil rights movement in real time. I saw it acted out in my home. My dad was a flaming racist, man. He was a full-blown racist. I saw it acted out in our school, in the streets, in the community. I, I saw campuses burn in our nation. I, I didn't study the civil rights movement from a book. I, I lived it every day of my young life. And many of you have too. And, and some of you have horrible stories to tell as you lived it out because that is the generation in which you were born. He gave me a quizzical look. He had no context, no connection point to what I was saying. He cannot index backward to understand me because he can't live in my past. But I can index forward by engaging his present so that I can understand him, engage him, and hopefully make better sense to him than our nonsensical culture does. I've titled this, It's Okay to Be Gay. 
I put okay in air quotes. It's okay to be gay, and you need to know why. All right, so let me wrap this up with a few questions. Number one, do you have CAD? Chronicle amnesia disorder. I made it up, okay? It's fake. But those questions are genuine. And maybe you could take my CAD assessment test and see if you're stuck a couple of generations back. Number two, are you opposed to being culturally relevant? Number three, what is it about the culture that you fear as far as your engagement with the culture? Number four, have you trained your conscience to avoid the culture rather than engage it? We don't want to be practical Gnostics where we misinterpret the situation thinking that that is evil and our hearts are not. And so we could train our conscience in a legalistic way to avoid the culture and we're not fulfilling the mandate of going and making disciples. Number five, do you know how to index forward so you can connect with a generation that is bombarded with the gay agenda? so often that it does not repulse them anymore. They can talk about being gay or the gay lifestyle just like they were ordering ice cream. Number six, final question. Will you share these thoughts with a close friend? Maybe share this video, share the podcast, share the article, and then discuss the content and also your answers to the questions that I've asked here in the call to action. And maybe you can give them the CAD assessment too and see how they do. Unfortunately, some people equate cultural engagement with compromising the high standards of the gospel. Jesus was the holiest man ever to live. Yet he was enmeshed in the heart of his culture. He ate, he lounged. He had deep conversations with ragtag sinners. His overly religious and wrongly spiritualized friends, they struggled with his associations. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And by the way, if you like our podcast, please give us a five-star rating and leave a comment. That would be fantastic. And for those of you who watch my video, if you're watching my YouTube, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and, and share our channel with others so that we can continue to grow it so that we can take the practical message of Christ into all the world. And then, as always, you're welcome at our coffee shop, lifeovercoffee.com. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.